is a football Friday here on Birds 365. Are you ready for the weekend? Are you ready for some football? Well, you got to have a little patience because the Eagles don't roll around till Monday night in Big D against the Cowboys. Here to talk about that game and we'll probably interject some other NFL stuff over the next two hours here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. It's the Mac and Mac guys on Birds 365. John McMullen, uh, come back in from an early swim. You see him, he's uh, shake that water mm. off the shoulder, Johnny Mac. It's chilly uh, this morning. I don't know if you can do that. First time, uh, Jody. I'm excited for the cooler weather, and yet I went outside, take the dog out to do her business, and I'm, it's a little too chilly. I need it in between. Why can't I get a nice in-between day? I was in the closet this morning picking out a shirt, and I said, let me go a little more. This is Temple, as a matter of fact. I don't know if you can see that it's a Temple uh, uh, shirt. And I said, let me go with that one. And I didn't realize it was long sleeve. So I pulled it out of the pile. I go, ooh, long sleeve. I'm not with. And I stopped and thought about it. I remember watching the weather yesterday. Yeah, fall weather kicking in. I said, mm. you know what? Let me keep the long sleeve shirt on. What the hell? And then I got the dog out this morning. I can confirm those of you who haven't gotten out of the house just yet. Fall has arrived here in the Delaware Valley, but uh, that's okay because it's football season. And oh, by the way, it won't be fall like for the Eagles on Monday night because they are going to be down in Dallas, which, oh, by the way, doesn't matter what the temperature is here in Philadelphia. doesn't matter what the temperature is down in Dallas. They're playing in the palace, so it'll be 70 and comfortable with the air conditioning on. Uh, so weather will not be a factor <laughs> in the Cowboys and Eagles was the coach's fashion choice yesterday <laughs> a factor in the game between the Cowboys and the Eagles on Monday night, McMullen? I don't think so. I I do think it's funny. We were talking before the show. I, you know, did, Nick didn't hear those pandering accusations or, or he didn't care about him, which is probably a good thing, by the way. He doesn't care about him. Comfortable in his own skin. I know our buddy Howard asking asked the question: Is bulletin board material real? Eh, I don't. I don't think it's real. I don't think the Dallas Cowboys are going to get all fired up because Nick Sirianni's we me uh, wearing a beat Dallas T-shirt. I you know, I Ezekiel Elliott got asked, uh, but I kind of brushed it off. I mean, it is what it is. It's part of his personality. It's a little bit folksy. He likes it. He wears T-shirts of players. He wears T-shirts of local teams. He wears T-shirts of beat Dallas. He's trying to get, you know, a lot of these younger guys, they don't, they don't know the rivalry. They don't really care about the rivalry that much because we talked about the Cowboys not being all that relevant over the past number of years or certainly not being what they once were when the star became the star and Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman, those two eras where the Cowboys became America's team. That hasn't been so for a long, long time. And if you think about the Devontae Smiths of the world and the Jalen Ragers of the world, Jalen Hurts. I mean, Jalen Rager's from Texas. Jalen Hurts is from South Texas. Jalen's a little bit closer to Dallas. They don't know this rivalry. So he, I think he's trying to educate his players and saying, this one's different for your fans, your fan base, and they want you to beat the Cowboys at all costs. So I think he's trying to put that uh, thought process in their head. Here's my uh, insight to Nick Sirianni's uh, T-shirt choice yesterday. I think it tells you something about him. First thing first on uh, bulletin, quote-unquote, bulletin board material. I think there's something to that. 
it's another one of those topics where it, it's so overstated in certain corners. Oh my God, how could you do something? They're going to come out fire breathing because of your teacher. Stop it. Just please stop it. They're, they're highly motivated, highly paid professionals who have a game to play. There's more emotion in this than a guy who's delivering milk down the block. I get that. But do you really think that's going to swing the outcome of the game? I don't believe that. But those who want to say it means absolutely nothing, I think are also being short-sighted because it is an emotional game. It is something where you can get pumped up. You've talked to enough players in your life, Johnny Mac, done enough interviews, and guys have relayed to you the roar of the crowd and getting up and playing as a unit. and There's something to it. So as always, the answer lies somewhere in the middle, which nobody likes to admit that, yeah, it's got some effect, but not much. Everybody, you either have to have, oh, my God, it's going to decide the game or stop it. You're an idiot for even suggesting it. It's in the middle, as it always is. But here's what I think was behind uh, Nick Sirianni's mindset. They're coming off a loss. He's never done this before. It is his first time as a head coach. He's been around it for a lot of years, first as a player, then as then an offensive coordinator. So he knows the temperature of the room, but he's <clears> never <throat> been the one who needed to set the temperature of the room before this season as head coach of the Eagles. It was nice after week one. And then they go down to Atlanta and get a win, and uh, the outcome of the game takes care of itself. This week was a loss, and a loss in which the head coach and his play calling had a little bit to do with why the game ended up a loss. So I think he wanted to set a little bit of a tone himself that, hey, I'm confident. How about you guys? I'll beat Dallas. That is, the only thing we need to worry about right now is beat Dallas. And oh, by the way, in case you don't know, the rest of the town wants us desperately to beat Dallas. So I think he was making a little statement to his players that, hey, I'm confident. Yeah, we got beat last week by San Francisco. That's now in our rearview mirror. And there's one task and only one <laughs> task at end, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. And here's what we got to do. Beat Dallas. Well, maybe, Jody. But I got to tell you, if you're listening to his press conference yesterday, I was a little worried about the guy. I mean, he took that loss pretty harshly, pretty uh, on himself. And I think it was uh, my, my buddy Tim McManus who asked him the question. And he went off on this kind of dissertation, and I was like, where's the couch? Where's the therapist? I mean, this guy's trying to talk himself into why he was here. I don't know if you saw that part of the, the, I the press conference, but he you know, he did his trademark slam. I got to get back. I got to say, it's like Stuart Smalley, if you're an old Saturday Night Live fan, Al Franken saying, I'm I'm worthy having a self-affirmation. Why am I here? I'm a good coach. And he's he's doing that live. And I'm like, whoa, this is one game. This is one game against a team you were supposed to lose to, by the way. And you probably outplayed. So if it wasn't for the self-inflicted wounds, which is not good, you want to correct them. But, man, if you're going to get this – this high, I think the dichotomy between Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni is striking. Jalen Hurts, the young quarterback, even keeled, man. This guy's taking a loss this hard? What if they do lose to Dallas? In other words, I'm looking forward. I'm saying, you can't be a successful coach in this league if you're going to be that emotional after every loss. I don't think the, the extra day helped Nick Sirianni. 
and that concerns me a little bit because you know burnout with NFL coach yeah, that's real, that's real. Now, I'm just saying this guy, this guy is on a track that if he keeps burning the candle like this, he's going to reach burnout far faster than the average coach. I was going to say if he's burnt out two games in, no, oh no, my no. god, no, no, no. But did you see that? Because I saw it. He, I he's did. out there. He's out there saying. Why am I here? I'm a good coach. I'm like, what? What are you saying right now? I don't know. That's maybe I maybe I made too much of it, but I certainly made more of that than a beat Dallas shirt. I'll tell you that. Because well, I'm a little I, concerned taking that loss that hard. I think that, the, that that happens. I think the beat Dallas shirt was a response to himself that I'm going to put it behind me, even though, and then he got in front of the cameras and he decided to open up to you media guys and to all of Philadelphia because he knows it's being broadcast, um, which is a little self-reflective, maybe a little over the top. But I like the fact that he was going to be confident, going to put a T-shirt on, not going to worry about it, maybe even a little cocky, maybe even risk a little bulletin board material. Good for him. I'm glad he's showing confidence. And if he was a little overly evaluative of himself. You know why I'm okay with that too, Johnny Mac? He helped them lose that game. There are games we like to think that the coach decides every single game in the National Football League. And there are certain weeks where the coach is just a passenger, that he's not yeah. the main mover and shaker, that he's pushing some buttons with play calling and the like. But the players decided 95% of the time. But you do have that 5% where a coach can either make the right decisions and look like a genius, week one, or look like a buffoon and help to cost his team a game. Uh, I'll turn around making a question to you. Would you say Nick Sirianni was a big reason why the Eagles lost last week? Yeah, and I okay, agree with you. Okay, then there you have it. Then what's so bad about him going, why am I here? I had a lousy game. That's it was not, on me. Took bullets for the team. Good for him. That that part of it's not bad. My my part of it that I took is bad, and I don't even know if it's bad, is him trying to talk himself into why he's here, why he's a good coach. That's the part I, I have an issue with. You have to be a little bit more competent in yourself, I think, this um, – to have success long-term in this league and understand, you know, every, nobody's perfect. This is not a game of perfection. Everybody's going to have bad games. I'm with you. 95% of the games are decided by players. And then you have the three categories. If you go decided by coaches in a negative fashion, much more than a positive fashion. In other words, a coach can lose you a game. I think more often than win you a game, that's more on the players. I think Nick Sirianni contributed mightily to that loss. That's not the part. Accountability, that's one of his things. He should be held accountable. He should go up there. My my issue, and I'm trying to pull up the quote as I as I talk here, and he said, I drug myself through the mud pretty good this week. But you and did. and he, he you know, I I and he then he talked about switching your mode and you gotta get get back into it. And he seemed to have a difficult time doing that. And then he went into the, hey, trust your preparation, the Stuart Smalley part of the conversation. Trust what you did all week. Trust the seven hours you spent on third down. Coaches like to remind us how hard they work. 
and you want to make that call. The other seven hours on red zone, you made educated decisions here. Trust the process, which I hate in this city. I hate that term <laughs> for obvious reasons. Blah, blah, blah. All right. You know, you don't have to explain to me why you're the head coach of this team. You're the head coach of this team. You don't have to explain to the fan base why you're the head coach of the team. You're in this position. I, I'm, I'm, and again, this is just my spin on it. Obviously, other people can take a different spin on it. I, I want a guy who's not, doesn't need a daily affirmation, doesn't have to stand in the mirror and say, I'm good enough to do this. I want a, 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 cocky SOB is like, I'm the smartest guy in the room. And it's probably not right. But I want somebody who's self assured and, and self confident in that type of position. It's my you're, only point. Yeah, you're you're a little bit more sensitive because you were there and uh, you're part of it. Maybe that's the difference. Um, I'm okay with it. If he's feeling his way through what he needs to tell himself, what he needs to work through with his fellow coaches, what he needs to tell the media, what he needs to tell the fan base. After his second game as a head coach in the NFL, I'm okay with that. There are growing pains in every walk of life. And if there are growing pains in being a head coach in the NFL too, okay. Now, if we're in year three and it's game nine and he's going, I, I dragged myself through the mud pretty good that we'll, You've had two plus years. What are you doing? What do you mean you still don't know how to react? Yeah. Come well, on, get with the program, Nick. But this is game and, three and, of and, his NFL coaching career. And that's why I bring up Jalen Hurts because he's, again, year two, a little bit different, but only six NFL starts. Now, that guy takes a lot of you-know-what when the Eagles lose, and there's a lot of people, as you know, that, that – uh don't believe in him as a long-term answer as a quarterback, especially nationally. We talked about it all offseason. I'm telling you, Jody, at least in public, you can't get that kid to waiver. I, I have not seen a lack of belief in himself for one second. And that's the, that's the di dichotomy I'm talking about. I don't know if Jalen Hurts is going to be a long-term star. I know he believes it. I know, and, and if he doesn't believe it, he does one heck of an acting job. He should go out to Hollywood if he doesn't believe it because he's going to have a great second career uh, because he never, never even wavers for a split second. That's that's all I'm talking about. That's the kind of di dichotomy, the kind of difference between a, a rookie head coach and a very young quarterback who's essentially a rookie starter and one is 23 and the other's a grown man, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, it, it's a little bit – I'm probably overstating this. I probably – it's just a little bit I, – I put these little check marks. I put asterisks on things. I put an asterisk on that. It's just a little bit of a concern. I don't think you're overstating uh, Jalen, but I'll play devil's advocate a little bit for you here. Um Unflappable would certainly be a way to describe uh, Jalen Hurts for me. You're right. His his mode doesn't change. His affect doesn't change. <laughs> he stays the course. But that might not even be a good thing all across the board, meaning have we seen any cocky out of Jalen Hurts yet? I'd like to see a little cocky out of Jalen Hurts. Shoot, pro football focus has him the second-rated quarterback in the National Football League. 
behind only Tom Brady. <laughs> and we've talked about how pro football focus grades a little bit different than everybody else. <laughs> Maybe I'd like to see a little bit more cocky out of him. Because you can see cocky out of uh, the head coach. He's peaking Valley. He's, oh, my God, what am I For doing? Hey, we did that. All that work we put in. You can, How about yeah. we kick? The, the coach is an emotional roller coaster. I'll give you that. Jalen Hurts is a flat line. Maybe I want to see a little bit more of the flat line with Jalen Hurts. Well, I I would say I, I see with Jalen, I see self-assuredness, and I think that comes with cockiness sort of baked in. If you're self-assured, you're cocky. You you don't care what other people think. That, to me, sort of defines cockiness. Maybe a, a little bit, you know, more, maybe you want more overt, like I'm better than this guy, I'm better than that guy. I just don't think that's his personality. But once you're once you're self-assured and comfortable in your own skin, that's what I want from the quarterback. That's what I want from the head coach. I already know the quarterback has it. I don't know if the coach has it. Look, I don't think – I think that was a logical loss. We talk about logical losses in the NFL. Coming off that big uh, opening season win where everybody's patting the Eagles on the back. We talked about it leading up to the game. I, I thought that human nature hurdle was going to be an issue for some of the younger players, for some of the younger coaching staff, everybody blowing smoke up there, you know what. And it turned out they played better, I think, than even I expected. And as I said, I think they outplayed the 49ers if you just want to go from play to play and grade each play like he grades training camp. And they didn't cash in on their opportunities. I think that's the way I would have taken that loss, like – man, this is one we should have had. This is one we beat ourselves. I think most of the players think that way. And the coach is just beating himself up, and he's got an extra day, and he's, woe is me. It, it's, sort of, it's sort of like the fan when the Eagles lose on Sunday and their whole week is ruined. I, I mean, you, you can't have that mentality when you're in this thing. Can't have it. You got to no. go. You got to move on. You got to get to the next thing. That, no. that, I guess, is my larger point. He did have the beat Dallas T-shirt on yesterday, so so yeah. But he's talking himself into it. He's talking was, himself but, into it. But he it. had to reach into the closet and pull out the beat Dallas T-shirt. He had to put I'm it on. Had to have up. enough confidence to put it on, and he did just that, McMullen. I'm gonna pick up, pull up a Stuart Smalley video and talk into the mirror. I am good enough. I forget the exact quote, but it was great. People should look up Stuart Smalley. Uh, it was a great Saturday Night Live character. He is John McMullen, a Saturday night character in his own right, Jody McDonald. I'm kind of a Friday afternoon guy. Here with you on uh, Birds 365. We'll get a Sunday superstar up with us next. Chris Franklin, who covers the birds for NJ.com, is going to join us here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spot on. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go for the steaks and the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, this, 
this and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at MessaLaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. It's a football Friday here on Birds 365 with your Mac and Mac guy, John McMullen and Jody McDonald. We're lucky enough to have a tough flight guest join us here in hour number one of our Football Friday show. Uh, if you don't recognize him, we'll fill in the blank. He's been on with us before and he always does a good job and he does a hell of a job covering the birds for NJ.com. Chris Franklin. How are you, Mr. Franklin? Hey, not too bad, man. It's, it's, it's like you said, it's football Friday. It's a beautiful day. It feels like fall now. It, it, it's great, man. How are you guys doing? Uh, not, we're doing well. Thanks for being here, Chris. And uh, you're right. You're you're my weather guy now. Storm chaser, Chris Franklin. That's what I like to call <laughs> as well. So uh, fall is here. It feels a little bit more like football. But, you know, it doesn't feel like a football Friday to me. That's because we have the extra day and the Eagles obviously – our North Texas on Monday night. So let's start there. Your first thoughts about this game. Beat Dallas week. Nick Sirianni's got the T-shirt out there. You see the typical juice this week for, for Cowboys-Eagles? It's weird. I, I don't know if it's because the Phillies are sucking some of the fun away. I don't know if it's because just it's still early in the season. It's still early September. But it doesn't have that same electricity like you normally see when it comes to an Eagles-Cowboys game. I don't know if it's one of those things where you start to see as the season, like people get more invested. I think a lot of people are still trying to find out, figure out this team, what the identity is and, and start trying to get used to Sirianni a little bit. And it, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's November. It doesn't feel like it's a November Eagles Cowboys. It just feels it's a different vibe to it. 
All right, Chris, need you to chime in on uh, what John and I were kicking back and forth in the uh, opening segment of the show. John's a little worried that Nick Sirianni was a little too self-reflective, that he's worried about the job that he did last year and why he's the coach of Philadelphia. Yeah. What did I say, last year? Yeah. Sorry about it. Last week, and thanks for the correction. Um, and I'm kind of okay with it because at least even if he was questioning himself, he's cocky enough to put the Beat Dallas T-shirt on and sit in front of you guys and all the cameras yesterday. We know the answer somewhere in the middle. He's not a cocky guy who's just going to go out and blow hard his way to victories, nor do I think he's going to crumble this week for fear of having too big a job. Murphy's Law, he's gone too far and has to fall backwards. It, the answer's somewhere in the middle. Which is it closer to? Nick Sirianni is good and is handling his business well going into week one, or there is actually something to worry about. Ooh, I think it'll be, I think everything will be wind up being okay. He reminds, you know, a lot of times when you see, especially when it looks like he took this loss, this is an old NFL films uh, clip. I forgot who the guy was they were talking to, but say, like, every time you lose, you die a little bit. He just seems like that type of guy who just takes every single loss, like he just lost a family member. It just seems like he comes that way. And, over time, I don't know if it's because he's just a he's a rookie head coach. He's going to learn. So you don't want to say get used to it, but you get acclimated to it in a, in a sense. But it just looks like he takes it a little too hard. And I think it's going to come with more experience. He's going to get a little bit better. I don't think it's one of those things where he thinks, hey, you know what? I'm the best thing ever. Stuff doesn't smell or anything like that. For I think he starts to get a little bit better and, and he starts get used to it. But I don't think he's more on the side of, oh, well, I. I don't worry about this. I, I know everything that's going on. Don't worry about that thing. I think it's okay that I think it's okay that he's doing that. It's part of the learning and growth process of a co hey, coach. Yeah, and I made the connection with Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts is that even keeled guy. We see him from week to week. You don't know what happened if you if you just <laughs> sat down and had no idea if the Eagles won or lost, you wouldn't know by Jalen Hurts' sentiment, his mentality, and I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, we, we talk about never get too high, never get too low. I think Jalen yesterday, he won the T-shirt quote contest. I have that every day at Eagles practice. <laughs> his, his one yesterday was, I think, no losses, just lessons. There's no losses, just lessons. Uh, you learn from it, you move on, kind of turn the page. I love that, that, that uh, thought process. Whereas what I was saying to Jody, Nick was up there. He's like an e EKG. He's like, boom. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so down. And I think it was Tim McManus, our buddy, who asked him the question. And then he went into that sort of, I, I wanted to see a therapist couch. He was like talking to himself. I'm a good coach. I'm here. I don't know. Maybe I'm overstating this. And that's what I asked Jody. I, I think this is way too early, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway because this is what we do. This guy seems susceptible for a quick burnout. By a quick burnout, I mean years into it, but quicker than the average NFL coach. This, am I overstating that? I wouldn't. I don't think he's going to be a quick burnout. I think he's just he's a really passionate guy. I'll give him that. Uh, you see, he's. I think and I think energy is key for him. When it comes to, I think when you look at the beat Dallas stuff, and it seems like every week he has to find something that get, emotes energy and try to get his team to feed off of that. So I don't think it'll be one of those things where 
he's going to burn out quickly or he's going to put so much into it that he's like, you know what, guys, I, I just can't do it anymore. Next three years from now, we're looking for they basically writing up a new thing about a head coach coming in all over again. If anything, I think it's going to be something where either you want to be so successful 10 years down the line or if it's going to be a it's going to be a two-year experiment and be bad. But I think it's more toward the – he's going to be – I think he's – I personally think he's going to stick around a while. I think he has a lot of qualities that you want in a head coach. I think he – the team bought in already. I mean, if you get veterans that could buy in this, like, it, not even just that, but he was able to find – when he found out the way to negotiate that the mini camps, I thought that was a huge key sign because you don't see a lot of young coaches at that that's able to bring both sides together and figure something out, and he's bought in. So – I think he's going to be – I think he's going to stick around for a little bit. I'm actually more worried about he runs out of T-shirt slogans. Before <laughs> he out. That, that does concern me going forward. Um, here's something we haven't talked about a lot this week, and maybe it's shame on us, uh, Chris, and, and I hope the Eagles aren't overlooking it. Uh, there's a key category that the Philadelphia Eagles lead the National Football League in through two games. That's penalties. They've got more penalties than anybody in the National Football League. Now, second is Tampa. They look pretty good. So you can overcome <laughs> penalties. But the Eagles have 22 penalties. That's a lot of penalties for the first two weeks of the season. And, yeah, I think part of that is on coaching, not just Nick Sirianni, but all his positional coaches, and he takes the responsibility for all of them. Should I be worried about the fact that the Eagles are the most penalized team in the NFL? I think if, it, if you broke them down – I think the thing you have to be worried about, and it seems like it continues to plague this offensive line, is the false starts penalties. And, and you know what? I'll even include the defensive line too with the, with the offsides. So <clears throat> stuff like that is completely controllable. Stuff like that is when it comes to discipline. And not saying that they're an undisciplined bunch, but that's something that you have to look at over time because, especially Atlanta game, Isaac Sayamalo with that false start, and they get bailed out by the Dallas Goddard touchdown, the touchdown catch. You see stuff like that over and over again. You start to get worried. Like I think it's more an individual player. I mean, you, you and I remember this hearing this beforehand. Like well, coaches, you would rather see aggressive penalties than that one. Too. I understand that. Like the Kayvon Wallace, it he was just put in a tough position. I if I was in his position, I'd probably do the same thing. It's more the fact that when you know a snap count, when you know when your job is, hey, as a defensive lineman, I'm looking down at the ball and I'm not going to move till that ball is moved, and you still get jumps anyway. That's where I think it's a little concerning. And then there's then there's a whole outlier in a Derek Barnett with his uh, curious decisions <laughs> when it comes to some of those yeah. penalties too. <laughs> yeah, and and penalties around the league are just up ridiculously. The NFL never learns. They were a little bit down last year. People loved it. People were raving about it. Oh, look, we can watch football, so what do they do? Let's call more penalties than ever before. But Jody is correct. 32 of 32 is 32 of 32. If you're the worst, even when they're calling an historic amount of penalties, that's got to change, and you're right with the pre-snap stuff. That's stuff you can correct. Um, I want to talk about another number that's good, though, and that's the defense. Top five in almost every important category, starting with the most important of all, and that's points per game, points allowed. But no turnovers, Chris. What, what, where's the disconnect there? And, and, and should we be worried about no turnovers? I think if you look by game six and you still see there's no turnovers or there's one, I think that's where you have a bigger problem. 
it's not like they haven't. And the thing concerning is, it's not like they haven't had their shots. I mean, how many times you saw balls hit the hands of the defensive backs and stuff like that? Well, I know everybody's gonna say the old adage is, well, that's why they're defensive backs; they can't catch. But it's true. You see, all the, put themselves in those positions to do that. You see, you see them trying to strip the ball. I have no. It, it's it's a game of chance. When it comes to turnovers, to me, partly it's also a part of a game of chance. And just basically, you just gotta give yourself. You guys got the ocean stuff in the background. You gotta give yourself more opportunities to go ahead and, and win. So I'm not concerned of it right now. I think they're simplified. They're putting themselves in a good position. You see a good pursuit defense, and when you see that, you got one guy holding the other per, what the ball carry up, and you see them trying to strip the ball. So I think it's going to come <clears throat> in time, and I think that when you look at the way to cover – I think the interception number, I think it's going to be inherently low just by the type of defense they're playing. Just like, they're, it seems like they're playing, okay, we'll keep everybody in front of them. We just won't try to make any mistakes. Let everybody beat be us behind them. So I think the interception low, but I think the fumble – the force fumbles and then the fumble recovers. I think that you'll see start, start to go to higher as the season progresses. All right, Chris, need your take on this because John and I, John and I have beaten it to death over the last four days after <laughs> last week's game. The fact that the Eagles are completing almost no passes whatsoever in the middle of the field. Uh, there are several reasons for it. Uh, the quarterback doesn't have confidence throwing it. The coaches don't have confidence in calling plays where the top or second read is a pass over the middle to a guy. The guys who are being tasked to get into the middle aren't getting open, and therefore, if they're covered, there's no sense trying to force the ball into them. We know it's a combination of all these things. What's the number one reason? Well, if I had to go number one, I think they're just trying to play to his strengths because it just seems like he plays a lot better when he's outside the pocket. I think his his passer rating, I think, I believe, goes up a lot higher when he goes when he's outside the pocket. It gives him chance. It gives it uses his threat to run. I think it puts a lot more pressure on the defense. So they're doing that. I also think it's a little thing where he's not the tallest quarterback in the world, and when you're behind these guys, he, he's it's almost like a Drew Brees type thing where you don't want him behind <clears> the, <throat> the lines. He's trying to find windows, but he can't really try to see over top of them. So if you get him, flush him out to the out of the pocket, he can see a little bit better. And that's what I think that's another part as well too. But I think it's mostly they're trying to play to his strengths, especially trying to put def- especially those def- the edge of that defense, the defensive ends, the quarterbacks, to put them into a guessing game. Or do you start to roll up to the uh, to roll up to try to get hurts, or do you try to stay back on the uh, receiver and then he picks up runs that way? But it, it's I, now watch this is the game right. We'll see that all of a sudden Dallas Goddard. Uh, Zach Ertz is back. You'll start to see a lot of uh, mesh routes and like those little button hooks in the middle of the field now. And it's going to be like, see, told you guys you did it. But no way this, but I, I think it's more they're just trying to play to his strengths. Well, Chris, that brings up uh, we're getting very existential talking big picture here today. So I'll throw this at you. Is it more important to take advantage of Jalen Hurts' strengths to beat the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night? Or is it more important to figure out? if Jalen Hurts can be the starter for this team for a decade. In other words, you got to see what he can do. You can't mask the deficiencies or you don't know. So we were told going all the way back to when Jeffrey Lurie fired Doug Peterson, this is a transition phase. This is about figuring out where we have to go next. So is figuring out what you have in Jalen Hurts more important and accentuating his strengths to, to win on a particular game day? I think it is. I think that's the way you have to find out if he's your quarterback. I think you have to do have to play to his strengths because just looking at the long term, looking at the just the, the, if they ever do decide, hey, you know what, if Hurts is not the guy, I don't like the draft class, just what I've seen so far of quarterbacks that are coming out. I don't like that. And then the trade, 
well, it looks like the Deshaun Watson thing is done because he probably doesn't want to come here. Aaron Rodgers, you probably gotta get Devontae Adams. Do you think Aaron Rodgers wants to come to Philadelphia? I don't I don't see that. I think he'd rather go out west. And then your option is, especially if that report about Jimmy Garoppolo talking to Aaron Rodgers to see what he's doing. Go, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo coming to Philadelphia. And, no, uh, no, 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 no. So I think it's more, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to pass on that tenfold. But I think there's a lot of things where you look. I personally think Hurts is going to be the guy for at least another three years. I, I just see a lot of characteristics that are similar to Russell Wilson. We all know how the Eagles wanted to get him. And I think this is how he's second chance of getting a guy just like him. And a lot of the times, I think when it comes, is it got yeah, forget too. I think it's going to be this is going to be sixth, seventh game going in, in his entire in his entire career, starting. Yeah. So seventh, yeah, seventh, yeah. It, it's just one of those things where he's just going to have to get gain more experience. I think it's going to be a two year thing. Like I still think to me, I can still count this as his first season because it's still seven. It's still his first season. He's still seeing things up. He's already been in two different offensive systems right now, and that's. It's fun. It's, look how many offices he's played in beforehand. So, I think more is more of a thing of you're just trying to play your strengths right now, and, and I don't think it's going to be come to a thing where you have to even worry about long term when you're looking at another quarterback for a couple of years at least. Anyway, all right, Chris, so I could ask a long ranging question again. Instead, I'm going to go narrow focus here. This week versus the Dallas Cowboys only. Which Brandon did the Eagles miss more, Graham? Or uh, Brooks? Graham. Uh, I say that without hesitation because I think the Cowboys' strengths are their ends and and under defensive ends and as more opposed to when it comes to the, the, you look at the Eagles trying to get some, generate that pass rush. I think Dick, I look at Brandon Dickerson. I uh, landed. Oh, Brandon's like, I took Brandon's on a break. Too many Brandon. Too many Brandon. Exactly. Brandon, 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> I think you look at Landon Dickerson. I, I don't think he's going to – he started off slowly filling in for Brooks, and I think he's going to get – I think Stout's going to get him right, at least to be serviceable. You look at that defensive end, I start to think you have to play a little bit more 3-4 now in a way because Kerrigan, he's still he, – he's not a he's not the youngest guy, and he's still, like he's still trying to get round to his normal form after missing so much training camp. Then you have uh, – do you put Josh Sweat over? I know – Jonathan Gannon said that they cross train a lot of these defensive ends, but it's still, it still had to get used to going to another side. And I thought Graham did more on the run defense as opposed to in opposed to his pass rusher. He still was a good, very good pass rusher. You can move him inside to rush if you wanted to get another speed guy on there. You, you do so much. He's a little bit more versatile than I think you Brooks. I think at this point now, looking at Brandon Brooks's injury history, I think you have to almost rely on him not being on there more than you can say when it came to Brandon Graham, because it's only missed one game beforehand. So I think it's one of those things where it's, I think it's, I think it's going to be a little bit no, more noticeable too, that Graham's going to be the one that the Eagles are going to miss. Yeah, well, let's kind of take a deeper dive into that, Chris, because obviously defensive line is a rotational area. You're going to have the rotation. So it's going to be more than one guy. It's going to be Josh Sweat. It's going to be Ryan Kerrigan. But also, what about Milton Williams? I mean, the Eagles said this is a Brandon Graham type of player from a trait standpoint. You know, very stocky, similar body type. They think he can play outside, play inside, move inside. Difference is Brandon's a natural edge who moves inside. Milton's probably a natural inside player that moves outside. But 
they're throwing Landon Dickerson in the deep end of the ocean behind me. Why not throw Milton Williams in the deep end of that ocean? I think right. I see. I, I like what they were doing, trying to test him out the edge. I just think he could be more dynamic as a defensive tackle, because when you, especially when you put have that much pressure coming up the middle, it just makes a quarterback feel uneasy. And then you flush him out right into the hands of defensive end. Because I think when you have like, if we look at what Javon Hargrave is doing right now next to Fletcher Cox. And the amount of pressure he's gaining on the inside there with that push is just causing a lot more, a lot of quarterbacks to get really uncomfortable. I think Williams plays that role a bit better than being on the outside edge. I know he can he can spend time out there and try to get acclimated. I just look at it when it comes to a, even when a pass rushing standpoint, I see a power move from him. I don't see that quickness trying to generate from the outside edge going in there. And then he also he has to remember, oh wait, I have to keep my outside arm free to make sure nothing gets outside of me. I just think he's more, as of right now, I think he's a better box player. That being said, I can see him lining up a defensive end in the sense of a 3-4 where it gets him a little bit more out the edge, and that way you can still put in Kerrigan, you can still use Sweat or even bring in Patrick Johnson or Navy, keep them out in that Sam to keep them to play a little bit more contained and try to generate a pass rush because they are more natural guys. So I can see them. That's why I think they play a little bit more 3-4, and that's why I keep them. I probably keep him more on the inside than pushing them outside. Chris, tell me if I'm overstepping uh, here, but it's a legit concern as far as I'm concerned. Um, first two games, the Eagles two starting cornerbacks, outside cornerbacks, I'm not talking about Avante Maddox here, have been pretty damn good. After Calvin Ridley in the first possession, Atlanta really got nothing done against their two corners. And last week, one big Debo Samuel play, all right, that hurt. But other than that, they didn't get beat by the 49er wide receivers. They're in for their biggest test this week with C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper. Amari's not 100%, but he looks like he's going to go. We're pretty good at beating up on quarterbacks who get beat in this town. We're going to be beating up on the Eagle cornerbacks come Tuesday? I think I'm thinking C.D. Lamb's going to have a big game. I I just look at the matchups, and I think they're going to – I really think – I know we're talking about the outside corners. I think they're just going to keep them in the slot because – him versus Maddox is really Maddox has played no wrong. Maddox has played well in my opinion the first two games. I really do. But I just think Lamb is that dynamic of a wide receiver. And I think they're gonna try to do everything they can to get the ball into his hands, even with this little quick screens out that way. And I look at even though I know Cooper's probably gonna play with that rib injury. And I, if if I'm Gannon, I'm telling the guys if they throw the ball his way, yeah, maybe take a little extra shot to that rib and just test it a little bit. They're probably going to pad it up when flag jackets and everything. But I'm think Lam, I think Lamb is going to be one of those has had one of those games, and I think knowing that the way the Cowboys like to try to spotlight their guy in on uh, prime time and everything else, I think he's going to be what. I could see him having like a hundred yard game, just him trying. You put him in different positions and then trying to make things tough for that Eagles defense. Well, let's talk about Jonathan Gannon a little bit in that perspective, because Chris, I think we're, I think we're, well, we are through eight quarters, but there has been one explosive pass play against this Eagles defense, the Debo Samuel uh, 40 yard catch and run that set up a touchdown for the 49ers. So, one twenty plus pass yard play against this Eagles defense through the first two games. And as you mentioned, C.D. Lamb, Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, even a banged-up Amari Cooper. You can't hold up to that degree. But Carolina had six last night. Six 
in one game. You watch Tampa Bay play. You watch Kansas City play. You watch Arizona play. Explosive plays all over the field, all over the field. Yeah, what are the Eagles doing to stop that? It's amazing in this era of football. It really is, even with the short, sam- small sample size. I think when you look at the safety support, I think that definitely helps out, especially when they're playing that coverage in a lot more zone. It, you see, when you see a lot more zone, I think more quarterbacks want to tend to try to work the middle of the field and the short side of the field, as opposed to trying to take those deep shots because they know, hey, if I go ahead and try to throw 30, 40 yards down the field, I'm going to have to deal either putting in a perfect spot where safety and a cornerback are going to have to di- probably divert, uh, converge at that one point. So I think it's one of those things. Well, and I think everybody, I think he's really trying to simplify things as well too. We meant we heard when in the introductory press conference with Sirianni and with Gannon that they were trying to simplify the defense to just let these guys' natural athletic talents take over. And you're starting to see that a little bit because you don't you don't see the exotic blitz looks. You see, he's basically saying, "Hey, you cover here, you cover here. We're going to rush the passer this way." Just do your thing. And I think you're seeing a lot of that more. So I think that's why a lot more teams are going to start trying to attack more in the middle and these in uh, the middle and the short side as opposed to trying to take those deep shots like you saw last night. Nick Sirianni doing a little self-second guessing this week with his less than stellar play calling last week. They ran the ball a lot last week. The run-pass ratio was a little top-heavy on the running side from what we're used to seeing or maybe what we thought we should have seen. Do you think he gets more aggressive? Does he turn Jalen Hurts a little bit more? Will we see 30-plus pass attempts this week out of the Eagles? I think you're if, – if I'm going to game plan, I think you see more things. I think the, you have to stop learn to start Michael Parsons. And when you stop Michael Parsons, I think the best thing you have to do is start off at least is start to run the ball, run right at him to tire him out. So I think you see a lot of the run early, not only just tire him out, but keep that Cowboys offense on the sideline. Then I start. You think you start to go. Hey, you know what? Let's run a little bit more RPO. You start to run the RPO game a little bit because I think the Cowboys. I, I think you can really do that. I guess the Cowboys you take a take a chance, basically take advantage of their aggressive nature because they know they're going to try to bring. I think they're going to try to blitz a little bit more to try to make up for some of that the pass for us. So I think you'll see a little bit more of that. So I think you'll play, see a little bit more RPO. And then I think as towards the third and fourth quarter, that's when you let it fly when you have them worn down when they're starting to feel like, hey, hey, we got to sell it for to stop the run, then that's when I think you start to see the play action up top. You start to go to Quest Walk and Devonta Smith and Jalen Rager down the field when you see that. That's what I would do. See. So I think you start to see a lot more run heavy early, but then you start to see things open up in the second half. All right, Chris, last one from me, and make sure you read Chris Franklin and our buddy Mike K at NJ.com. They do a tremendous job covering this team. You guys will be in North Texas uh, Monday night for Cowboys-Eagles. To me, the most exciting matchup, just one-on-one, this is going to thrill our producer, Xander, Alabama versus Alabama. Devontae Smith against Trevon Diggs, because I think Trevon Diggs has been one of the most improved players in the NFL early in the season, especially from a playmaking standpoint. What do you see that Alabama on Alabama crime? Who gets the best of it? I'm going to stick with Hurts. I really think Hurts is going to do well. I mean, or it I could think, be Hurts and Smith. Yeah, Hurts and Smith. Connection. Smith, too. That's that, too. I think it's going to be – and I think they're going to take advantage of that, too. As we mentioned earlier, when it came to the run, I think you'll start to see I, – I, you may see him a little cheat a little bit. I think Diggs will have a couple stops on him as well, too. I think he, he's played a lot well. I like the way he's been aggressive. I like the way he's jumping jumping around. So I just like overall his coverage overall. So 
I think Hertz is going to get the better of him. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you see him one on one when he goes around the edge, and then <laughs> I, th- I think Hertz makes makes a couple moves or on him, or just blows right by him a little bit. So, but that's gonna be fun. It's just amazing. Just look and see all these Alabama guys you see in the league now. Just in this one game, you got him Smith, Dickerson, everything else. It just goes to show how deep this Alabama program is. But I think, in the end, I think Hertz is going to have the last laugh at least one on one. Chris, we open up the show today and also the conversation with you about motivation and where Nick Sirianni's head is at and can motivation actually help to decide this game against the Cowboys? Well, let me give it a shot. Uh, No Brandon Graham this week. Eagles lose, lose a leader and a big contributor on the defensive line. If you ask me who's been the best contributor on the Eagle defensive line so far, it's not even close. Hargrave has dominated compared to everybody else. When is this Fletcher Cox guy going to step up and start to be the superstar he's supposed to be? Highest paid guy on a defensive line, right? Takes down the biggest check. Ooh. He's their all pro. He's the how 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 many tackles does he have so far this year? How what has Fletcher Cox done to this point? <laughs> Hello, Fletcher. How many I'm you showing up this Fletcher week? Cox. Every protection, and Chris will tell you, slides towards press. Fletcher Cox, every single one. That's the way you got to worry about. It. That's why I think Hargrave is having such a great season because everybody's worried about Fletcher. Either putting two guys on it or run, they're trying to find either they're running traps okay, or trying can, to stop can him. I, can I can I ask do. a question? Yeah. Do you think they do that to Aaron Donald? <clears throat> Aaron yes. Donald's a freak of nature. Yeah, oh, Aaron okay. Donald. Aaron so, Donald's a freak so of nature. Fletcher, I don't get one. Fletcher Cox <laughs> is not even Nobody's a mini Aaron Donald. Nobody can compare anybody to Fletcher Cox. Can't hold Aaron Donald's cape. Is that oh, the I'm, point you're trying nobody, to make? Nobody, oh, I, would, uh, I think Aaron Donald's. I think is the best defensive player. Yeah. Period in the league right now. There's yeah. and Fletch. Fletch is. I don't think Fletch is the same guy we saw back in like 2017, 2016. I still think he's a very good defensive tackle, one of the top five in the league still. I think it's just a matter of teams know that, so you want to block him up and make sure he doesn't hurt you. Because if he got sing- if he got the same at the same looks that Javon Hargrave was having, we're having a different conversation about Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox is, a- is having a great season. It's just one of those things where teams are not going to say, oh, that's your best defensive lineman, especially now of, of all they losing Brad Graham. Oh, that's your def- best defensive lineman? We're going to take him away. We're just going to try and stop him. It's trying to stop him. And it- from being wreaking havoc. So that's why I think you're seeing more double teams, more traps and stuff like that. They're just trying everything they can to take him out. And that's if it's almost like, I hate to use a basketball term, but it's almost like Joel Embiid. You want to take him out, you double team him and to make the other guys beat you. So that's what I think you should see a little bit more when it comes to Fletcher Cox. I think he's playing, I think he's playing well for what they're doing against him. It's not going to show up on a stat sheet. That's the thing when it comes to all right, we'll see. If Fletcher Cox has a big game, I'll tell you, I got him motivated by calling him out here on Burns 365 <laughs> on a Friday. Chris Franklin, always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks for coming on with us. We'll tap into you again soon enough. Uh, safe travels down to Big D. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. That Thanks, is Chris sir. Franklin from NJ.com. It was on Birds 365. All right. We're going to give it another shot today. For those of you who were tuned here yesterday to Birds 365, John Machado, who we had on way back in July or August, sometime during the summer, who covers the Dallas Cowboys for the Athletic, does a great job for them, as a matter of fact, was scheduled to be a guest here on Birds 365. John knows this. He wasn't here to uh, watch 
Jeff uh, Kerr and I just continue on with no John Michaud yesterday, who either overslept or forgot or something popped up, and he didn't join us yesterday. He was quite apologetic when we talked to him after the show. So I owe you guys, all right, how about tomorrow? Oh, okay. Uh, he has already responded and said he's ready to rock today, so we will give you a little cowboy uh, preview on the back end of today's show in hour number two. But coming up next, John and I continue to break down Eagles Cowboys here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Birds 365, guys, on a football Friday. It's just not the same football Friday because the game isn't going to be played no. till Monday. No. Got the extra day uh, with the Eagles and Cowboys doing battle on Monday night. Um, so, yeah, we'll give you some more thoughts about the game. We don't have to make a pick on the game yet because we'll be back here Monday morning on Birds 365 yes. leading into Cowboys. That's why it doesn't Eagles. feel like a football Friday. It does. By the way, Jody, Monday, that reminds me. Did you see the story about the NFL changing to Super Wildcard Weekend and having a Monday night game uh, on top of it to cap off the Super Wildcard Weekend? 
Uh, yes. And do <laughs> I, uh, I'm assuming your follow-up question is, do you like do, it? Do the answer like is, it? Uh, yeah, it's terrible. Definitive. No. If you're that team, that's like, we're sitting here week three. It's week three of the stupid season. And now, Ooh, the biggest season in the history of the NFL, 17 weeks. I'm already ticked off that I got to wait till Monday. For I, know, game. I know. I'm so ticked how ticked off are you going to be when we get to the postseason and everybody else and you got to wait till Monday night? Now, here's the amazing thing about Monday night. It hasn't changed in low these many years they've done Monday night. When you get to 8 o'clock on Monday, oh, it gets cool. You are the only show in town. You have the national attention. You have all the focus. And at that point, it becomes very nice. But up until then, it stinks. Friday, it stinks. Saturday, it stinks. Sunday, while they're playing games and you're not playing, it stinks. And even Monday afternoon, when you got to go back to work and you got to be paying attention to work and you really want to be thinking about football, until you get till 7 o'clock on Monday, it stinks all week. And then it becomes great. But, oh, I don't like it a little bit. Now, now, I, I just want to point out, and Jody, this is not, and by the way, this is not Ian Rappaport's fault, but yeah, and for those who don't understand, Ian was given the story. Ian works for the NFL. Ian works for right. NFL media. That's how this kind of thing works. And just the way he put out the tweet, everything is Twitter now when news is breaking. And he said, a fun little change by the NFL. No, it's not a fun little change. They don't like the Saturday early window. And they want another primetime game. They could charge, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for. It's not a fun little change. It's everything about money. That's the part that really, I, I realize most people don't care about that. But that's the part that just... Uh, grinded my gears if you want to go to Homer Simpson route. I mean, come on. Just say what it is. All right, primetime. Get more television uh, providers to pony up more money. All right, I get it. I don't like it, but at least I get it. Yeah, and you've got two chances of Ian Rappaport or anyone else at the NFL specifically places the story with the use of the word money grab, which you are very <laughs> right, Mr. Uh, McMullen. It's exactly what it is. Zero. There's no way it's going to be. We may say it here on Birds 365. Yeah. The guy who gets the information. Yeah. No I'm not, and by the way, to be clear, I'm not expecting Ian to say money grab. Just don't play up the fun little aspect of it. I'm just saying just report it as the hard news. Oh, they're going to move it to Monday night. Don't say it's an obvious money grab. Okay. But don't say it's a fun little twist because it's not a fun little twist for right. anybody. It's Certainly cool. not for – and by the way, the team's on a short week if they move on too. So from a preparation standpoint, they're going to hate it. it. It is what it is, and TV runs this industry, and when they pay the rights fees that they do, they have a right to get what they want, but that's what it is. Right, and you're, you're to further the point and, and second your emotion, um, the team that wins on Monday night is then going to have to go on a short week. When you get to the next weekend, they should absolutely have the last game. By yeah. competitive nature standards, they should get the last game. Who do you think is going to decide that? Roger Goodell and what's best for the game yeah. or the television network? 
that is uh, set to get yeah. the biggest payday with the best matchup. Yeah, oh, it's going it, to be the high-profile team no matter what, depending on on where it is. And they don't want that on Monday night. So, yeah, it's not going to work out that way. Agreed. All right. I wanted to get your take on this, Mac Man, because uh, Jeff Kerr and I discussed it <laughs> yesterday after you were on with us. I know you've seen the story, and uh, you may have even commented on it elsewhere, but I need you on the record for uh, Birds 365 since it's a bird story. The nominations for the Pro Football Hall of Fame came out uh, 48 hours ago now because it was uh, reported yesterday. And of the 122 nominees, a whole bunch of them were Philadelphia Eagles, like 16. And you said, wow, that's a huge number. Yeah, but there's a bunch of players, and I will read the list again like I did yesterday, that several teams lay claim to. So it's not an outrageous number, six that you'd think. 16 out of 122. Well, if you do the math, 32 teams, 122 guys should be about four apiece. 16 Eagles. Yeah, but there's a whole bunch of guys on this list that you wouldn't necessarily think of Eagles first, but they spent the larger part of their career in the NFL on another team. I'm going to run them down for you, McMullen. And then here's the question I want you to answer. Which one is the most deserving to become a Hall of Famer, like right now, this year, should be in the discussion, make the final cut. Uh, we can make an argument for all of them. That's why they're on the list of 122. It's an accomplishment just to make this list. Are we but talking then, just the Eagles here or just anybody? Just the former Eagles. At oh. one point, well, I can answer that right off the bat. Well, Okay, go ahead. I was just going to run down the list for you, but if you no, already no, know that. I, You can run down the list, but the guy who should, uh, you know, perhaps already be in, and I've talked with Damo a lot about this, and the guy, uh, he certainly would probably lean towards being in next would be Eric Allen, uh, the cornerback, and then it would be Seth Joyner, uh, probably uh, the next from his standpoint. Um, and I agree with that. Uh, I, I also think Donovan McNabb and Randall Cunningham are better candidates than most people think for a lot of reasons. Um, but I, I ultimately, I don't think they're going to be Hall of Famers. Agreed. Uh, first thing first, very much agree on Eric Allen. I've been saying it for a decade, how Eric Allen continues to get short-circuited in the conversation. He doesn't make the final cut. It's I think it's ridiculous. I think after, and he played in the same era as Deion Sanders. After Deion Sanders, he was the best cover corner in his, back when you actually could be a shutdown corner in the NFL. We like to talk talk about shutdown corners. There's really no such thing as a shutdown corner in the NFL anymore because how they legislate the game and how they've affected the rules with the calls. Uh, I don't know that there can be a shutdown corner. Uh, but I believe Eric Allen was that kind of a player and absolutely should believe he should be in. And this next one kind of pains me because I'm not a fan of the individual, but if you're just looking at his body of work, and I know one guy's a lot more popular here in town than the other is and should be, I actually think Ricky Waters is a little closer to being a Hall of Famer than either Seth Joyner, who you mentioned is number two, I'd probably slot Ricky Waters for his career, career achievements. A lot of that in San Francisco, folks. I know it doesn't affect us. Didn't do the Eagles any good what he was doing and running wild and helping them win champions in San Francisco. But if you're looking at his 
Hall of Fame dossier. It surely does count. And who was the better Philadelphia Eagle? Brian Westbrook. Brian Westbrook was a better Eagle than Ricky Waters. But when you do add in Ricky Waters' other achievements elsewhere, was his career better than Brian Westbrook? I think I have to say yes. So I would put Ricky Waters number two on that list ahead of both Seth Joyner and Brian Westbrook. Um, yeah, I, I I would still stick with Seth as as number two. A lot of it has to do with how the 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 Pro Football Hall of Fame and the voters do business as well. Uh, that part plays into it, and and the fact that um, certain positions are more difficult than other positions. Uh, certain positions rely more on um, all pro nods. Certain positions rely uh, more on statistics. And you and you think about um, you think about you know you're a Jets guy, so we'll use Curtis Martin as an example. You think about his numbers that he piled up and how difficult it was for him to get into the the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I just don't think Ricky Waters is even in the conversation uh, to be pushed as a Hall of Fame player, fair or not, from their perspective. Um, Seth Joyner, I I think he's borderline. I think there's a chance as we go down. We just saw it went through Harold Carmichael. I think he's that same type of, of, of category. It might take a while, but they'll consider it. Um, so a lot of it is just over the years seeing how they do business. I, I just don't think Ricky's going to be in the conversation. Um, I think Seth might ultimately become part of the conversation. And by the way, you're right with Eric Allen. I mean, Eric Allen should be uh, a bigger part of it already. And for whatever reason, it's become very difficult. But as far as the Eagles, we're coming into the wheelhouse of, you know, one of their uh, great periods. So you're going to see more names from the Eagles than, than typically. Obviously, cyclical industry, when you got a bad football team, there's not a lot of Hall of Fame talk. And we're coming up on a group of players that were on a lot of good football teams. Unfortunately, if you go back to the Buffalo Bills, um, who lost all those Super Bowls. Um, if you go back even further to, to the Vikings, the Bud Grant Vikings who lost all those Super Bowls, they put too much emphasis on winning Super Bowls as well, um, which I think is unfair. But that's yeah, going Jim, down Jim Kelly got in and he took it over for. Oh, they, uh, there's a lot of players. But I'm saying, that, that you know, um, from covering the Vikings all those years, Paul Krause was – a lot of people might not know Paul Krause. He's a Hall of Famer. He's the all-time NFL interception leader with, oh, by the way, 81. Nobody's beating that anytime yeah, soon. Shut, shut down corners. Not happening in the National yeah. Football League. Nobody's like, beating that record good. anytime soon. So I compared it. It took him over 20 years to get in the Hall of Fame. He wins one Super Bowl. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. They usually ultimately get in, but it just – they, they really hold that against them, which I think is unfair. Uh, Thurman Thomas, you know, all those great, you know, Bruce Smith was the, the slam dunk guy because he was so good. There's always slam dunk guys. Uh, but the other really good players that really hold Super Bowl losses more against them than even if you don't make the Super Bowl, which has never made any sense to me whatsoever. So it'll be interesting to see how they hold 
uh, Andy Reid's Eagles the lack of Super Bowl success against them uh, because they will hold it against them. But it does cut both ways. If you say too much emphasis is put on Super Bowl wins, it may help a guy like Jason Kelsey, uh, not Jason, uh, Art Kelsey, because um, he is part of a Super Bowl champion, a multiple oh, yeah, definitely Super helps. Bowl guy. Uh, that, that you can bemoan it when you have a team like the Vikings, like the Bills, like the Andy Reid Eagles, who were good and kept going to championship games but couldn't get the, over the last hump. You're right. But then a team like the Eagles, who made it once, haven't really been close the couple of years after, and we'll see how long it takes them to get back again. That one win does carry a lot of juice, and it may help. Uh, someone get into the Hall of Fame who might be a borderline guy, which is what I would call Kelsey at this time. All right, uh, J-Mac, the one I ask you about this, I know I asked it of Chris Franklin. I want to ask it of you, too. Too many penalties by the Eagles in the first two weeks overall. Uh, it's certainly on the individuals who uh, get caught in motion, offensive line, jump on the defensive line. Nick Sirianni working with his coaching staff. He praises and sings the praises of his coaching staff all the time. Breakdown in communication, players, coaches, positional coaches, and the like. What are you leading the National Football League in penalties two weeks in? Well, the pre-snap penalties, and certainly in week one, I think you could uh, at least in a in a short time frame blame it on they didn't play at all. I think that was a legitimate excuse. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. You know, it's a it's a valid excuse. I mean, if that's the way you're going to go, you got to figure out how to eliminate those penalties. But I think it was at least uh, maybe that's the bad word. Maybe a better word is explanation uh, to why it happened. So you have to be uh, cognizant of it moving forward. We're still at a very small sample size. I throw these numbers out. You throw these numbers out. We're talking about two games. So when I talk about a top five defense, well, let's revisit that after Kansas City and Tampa Bay and then see where we are. Uh, same thing with penalties. Okay, 32nd in the league as a whole. Let's see where we are in a couple weeks. If it continues to be 32nd, 31, then you have a problem. Then you have a significant problem. Um, I forget who it was. I'll try to... Uh, pull it up after the break, but might have been Sam Farmer, the great writer from uh, uh, the LA Times had, had, you know, posted through two weeks, the NFL has set a record for penalty calls, um, which is not good as a whole. Um, and, but 32nd of 32nd, that's why you put the context. Okay. You can blame the league to a certain extent, but you're still the worst in the league, so it's got to improve. JM, another big concern I have with uh, the Eagles this week, and I really honestly don't know which way it's going to go, is Nick Sirianni's play calling because he was pretty damn close to phenomenal in week number one, pushed all the right buttons <clears> at <throat> the right plays. We questioned the quality of the opponent. I thought it was a fair question before the game. It's certainly a fair question after the game. The quality of the opponent went up. San Francisco's got a good defense. They flashed it, even though it's a little beat up. Uh, they certainly flashed the talent that they did have on Sunday, and uh, everyone suggested Nick Sirianni kind of laid an egg. 
which Nick Sirianni play call are we getting in this matchup against the Cowboys? Because truth be told, Cowboys defense isn't good. It wasn't last year. No. It hasn't been again this year. Michael Parsons looks like a really nice addition, and you just uh, sung the praises of Trayvon Diggs on the outside, who has played well here in year number two. But overall, I would still call the Dallas Cowboys a below-average defense, and that's what Nick Sirianni's play calling got to go up against. Which, Nick, the play caller are we getting on Monday? Yeah, well, that I, I want to see. I mean, that's what we're all – I'm just looking at the stats right here, Jody. So, okay. You know, we talked about this a little bit on the show yesterday with this Cowboys defense. Uh, it's given up 419 yards a game, so 27th in the league, 31st in the league in passing defense at 346 a game. So even though Trevon Diggs is making big plays, we were talking yesterday, all right, the Cowboys are taking the football away, number one in turnover differential. So, and the Eagles haven't turned it over. Well, which would you rather have? You'd rather have the 27th-ranked defense who turns it over or the fourth-ranked defense that hasn't gotten turnovers and has only given up uh the second most points, the second fewest points in the league. I I'd rather have the Eagles, uh, but that's up for anybody's debate, I guess. Uh, yeah, they still give up gash plays, and that's why I think it's so interesting. This week is so important for the Eagles from the standpoint of Dallas is probably going to score some points. I mean, this can't keep up, uh, even though, and we'll talk about this with with John Machota a little bit, even though Michael Gallup's not there, Lyle Collins isn't there, they still have a lot of good offensive linemen, a lot of explosive playmakers. At some point, you got to give up something offensively. I almost want this to be a shootout, Jody, to see if the Eagles can play in a shootout. That's what I want to see. Can they win a 35-30 game? Can they win? Can they be up in that range? First two weeks, it doesn't look like it, but I think they've had the training wheels on. I want to see the training wheels off. That's what I want to see. I don't know if I'm going to see it, but that's that's what I want to see. All right. If I tell you this week is going to be more along the lines of 17-10 or 17-11, like it was last week, or it's going to be 35-31, which one do you think it's more likely to be? I think it's more likely to be 35-31. So do I. Um, I, I, a couple reasons. I don't think you can hold the Cowboys to 11 points, even even with the issues they're having. Um, 17, I mean, yeah, I guess if they have a bad day, I guess that's possible. But uh, So if they're on the winning end of it. Uh, and then I just think the Cowboys are going to, give you opportunities to make big plays. So even if they're not the big plays that you want, it might be a 40-yard run from Jalen Hurts on the scramble. They're going to give you an opportunity to make big plays. That's just what they do. That's their history. That's where they are. They don't have – and remember, Demarcus Lawrence is out. They don't have their best defensive player. Um, They're moving Micah Parsons around because they have to. Um not because they want to. They have no pass rushers, basically. That's why they're doing it. Now, Randy Gregory, I think, is going to be back. I think they took him off the COVID list yesterday. 
But what is Randy Gregory at this point? It feels like we're still talking about Randy Gregory like he's this great player. I mean, he's been suspended 150 times by this point. He's never done anything. I don't think that's scaring anybody. They're going to give you an opportunity to make big plays offensively. They have, and I think they continue to do so. Uh, I'm not ready to make a prediction on the Eagles and Cowboys just yet, but I would lean toward the over. Oh, by the way, the people in Vegas know exactly what they're doing. The number is pretty big. I don't have it in front of me, but I looked at it yesterday. I said, ooh, that's about right. It's a pretty big number. Uh, Not surprising because I think we are going to get what John wants, which is a shootout with both teams in the, at least in the high 20s, if not into the 30s. And we'll find out if the Eagles can win a game like that. They're going to probably have to do that against the Cowboys on Monday night. All right, speaking of the Cowboys, uh, we're going to take a quickie timeout, and then we're hoping to be joined by, in case you've never heard this before, you weren't watching yesterday here on mm-hmm. 365. John Mishota covers the Cowboys for the athletic uh, redone stuff, uh, not all the time, but often enough to know he does a very good job at covering the Cowboys. He's going to join us coming up next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go to get your spin on. Go to get your spa on. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go for the steaks and the steak. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glasses for cocktails, right? It's for this, this, this. And that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. 
Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. We are the Mac and Mac guys. Down the phone is Jody McDonald, Young Birds 365. All right, time to do a deep dive on the opposition, going behind opposition lines. Uh, here to give us some insight on the Eagles' opponent on Monday night, the Dallas Cowboys uh, from The Athletic, and also his podcast about them Cowboys. I always <laughs> like to know the podcast when I like the name. I got to tell you, I like the name, John. John Machota here with us on Birds 365. How are you, John? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Hey, John. Good to have you back. Uh, I guess we'll start with the Cowboys' health. Uh, they're banged up. Uh, you have some other issues down there as well, Lyle Collins' suspension. So where are they health-wise coming into this uh, Monday night game? Well, so I think the biggest concern, probably from an Eagle standpoint, would be Amari Cooper. Uh, he bruised his ribs uh, late in that game against the Chargers. And he didn't go to the blue medical tent. He didn't go into the locker room. He kind of stood on the side. It looked like he was about to come back in if they needed him to. Uh, they ended up settling for that 56-yard field goal. And luckily for them, it went in. So he didn't need to come back in the game. But he was very limited yesterday uh, when we were at practice. Just did some individual stuff. Uh, but he he did say uh, on the local radio station here yesterday afternoon that he plans on playing Monday night. And, uh, and I always anticipated that just because this game is so big for them. I mean, the way the Cowboys schedule is playing the Eagles early in the season, they just, most of their NFC East games are at the end of the year. This, this game just means so much. So I anticipate Amari Cooper playing. I'd be surprised if he didn't. Uh, but in terms of other guys that, uh, you know, Carlos Watkins, defensive tackle, who's kind of rotated in, he's already been ruled out. Dorrance Armstrong, uh, one of their backup defensive ends. He's already been ruled out. Uh, Ty Nisecki, who's their swing tackle, veteran offensive tackle, uh, he's been ruled out. Uh, they are getting Randy Gregory back from the COVID-19 uh, reserve list. So that's a positive for them. Uh, he's their starting right defensive end and, and probably their best pass rusher now with Demarcus Lawrence out. So uh, that's kind of where they're at right now. Um, and then there's Keanu Neal, who was just recently put on the it's every week with the Cowboys. It seems yeah. like there's a new player put on that reserve COVID list. Now what's different with Keanu Neal though, is that he did not test positive. He's a close contact. So, there's a chance he has to be quarantined for five days. As long as he continues to test negative, the, the fifth day would be Sunday. So he could technically play on Monday, but he will not have practiced all week. Uh, but with him knowing Dan Quinn so well, I, I can imagine as long as he's cleared to play Monday, he'll play. Let me ask you about Neil, because uh, he was a guy who drew a lot of interest across the league when he became a free agent during the offseason, including some here in Philadelphia, at least from Eagle fans, I don't know how interested the Eagles were or weren't. And they were where the conversations led. He ended up signing with the Cowboys, a little bit of a positional change. How's he played the first two weeks? How has that gone, his addition to the Cowboys defense? Yeah, it's gone well. I mean, he's played the most snaps out of any linebacker on the roster. And that just, I mean, when they signed him, you know, you thought he'd be a factor. But a lot of us thought when they signed him, oh, well, he's going to help out at safety. Safety's been such a weakness for the Cowboys, seemingly for it, the better part of the last decade. And so it seemed like this made sense. They got Dan Quinn. Why not go and get this guy that, you know, Dan Quinn coached over in Atlanta and it was a key piece for them. And then he comes to the Cowboys and they're, they're like, no, no, we're playing him at linebacker. And it was kind of like, all right, we'll believe that when we see it. Like, and then he keeps lining up at linebacker and, 
and, and he's been very good these first two games. Uh, he's a key piece for them. Uh, obviously, with Micah Parsons playing well, those have been their top two linebackers. It is probably their def- their deepest position on defense, so that that's helped. But it's just very clear that he's kind of like an extension of Dan Quinn because he knows what Dan Quinn's looking for. And so, you know, he makes that move from safety to linebacker because – mainly because they just, the NFL is changing. Like you need your linebackers to be more like safe. They have to be able to cover. And so that's what he does well. Uh, So yeah, he's, he's been a good addition uh, for for this team. There's no question about it. And, and the Cowboys just don't spend big in free agency, but there's, there's no question that he's been there. He was their most significant addition in in free agency and and he's lived up to the billing so far. John, uh, let's stick on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned Marcus Lawrence. Obviously, he's on the injured reserve. That's probably the, the Cowboys' best defender, I would think, still. How much has Micah Parsons' role changed uh, since that injury? Have they moved him to more of a pass-rushing type role? I know people were speculating about that. Maybe that's the way they would have to go. Has it changed that dramatically? It has. I mean, last Wednesday... Uh, just Demarcus Lawrence was just doing a, a routine drill, individual drill during practice, and uh, ended up breaking a bone in his foot. And so it's not season ending. I mean, he'll be back, but it, it, it probably won't be for another couple months. And so after that practice, Dan Quinn went up to Micah Parsons and was like, you know, Micah, we need to do something different here against the Chargers to have some success, especially with Demarcus being out. You know, you have edge rushing ability. Can you? Do you think you can do that just straight up for? the entire game. And he was like, yeah, if that's what you want me to do for sure. So Micah didn't play edge rusher at all at Penn state, but he did in high school. And, and from the people I've talked to, you know, including coaches at Penn state, they said that there was no question he could have played edge rusher at Penn state. They just needed him at, at middle linebacker or at weak side linebacker. So because of that, that's kind of where it fit too with the Cowboys. But in that, I mean, playing against the chargers, that's all he did was play edge rusher, 39 snaps. And he played well. Now, I do think that there'll be some more of that against the Eagles, but you know, this is going to be the third different type of quarterback that the Cowboys are going to go against. And so, you know, I, so on practice yesterday, he didn't, Micah Parsons didn't do anything with the linebackers. He was with the edge rushers the entire time. And so I'm kind of like, are you showing your cards here or is this all a play because he's, you know, he's going to go back to line because for me personally, and obviously I'm not a coach, I would rather have him at linebacker against Jalen hurts because if he's rushing up field, Jalen Hurts has that mobility to like totally kind of take Micah Parsons out of the game in terms of like, well, let him rush upfield and then he can break outside. So um, it remains to be seen, but there's just no question that this is just a defender that the Cowboys have not had in a long time. And he has become like kind of a Swiss army knife where you don't know where he's going to be from down to down. And it's made things very interesting for this defense. John, let me ask you about motivation, because my partner, Johnny Mack, and I were talking about it in the first hour of today's show about Doug Peterson wearing the Beat Dallas T-shirt to his press gathering yesterday and whether that's going to help motivate the Cowboys because they're picked off because it's bulletin board material or motivate his own team by saying, do you guys realize how big a game this is? Dallas here in this town, it means a lot. You new guys might not understand it, but let me lay it out for you. So the Eagles are playing that game. Can the Cowboys benefit this week? Because I heard about it on uh, the broadcast last night with Troy Aikman. I heard about <laughs> with Michael Irvin after the game. Everybody's back in Dallas this week because it's uh, Wall of Fame night. And Jimmy Johnson's going in. Now, I'm old enough to remember Cliff Harris and Drew Pearson. The Cowboy players don't know any of that. 
how motivated they really going to be because they're honoring guys who uh, were stars and gone before they were ever born in the National Football League. What's the motivation like for the Cowboys this Sunday, this Monday night? Yeah, that's a really good question because I was actually just talking about this yesterday with another reporter. Um, to answer your question, it'll be that it's Monday night and it's the big stage. That's how it is for the for these players. <laughs> but so we leave. Uh, we had our media availability yesterday. And we're talking a, a CD Lamb, and just the way CD Lamb talks about Jalen Hurts, like they are legitimately like really close friends. And when so we leave, we talk to CD for about ten minutes. When we leave there, I'm just kind of like, you know, this just you just never heard guys talk about an yeah. opponent, especially yeah. on a rival like that. Yeah. Like, and it just was like, I mean, he. This is a guy that when Jalen Hurts transferred from Alabama to Oklahoma, you know, CD Lamb was all about. It. He was like. You can stay at my place until you find a place like they were. I mean, it was he stayed yeah. on his couch for a little bit. They I mean, it was just all about like, hey, let's get on the same page and let's just have success. And they've stayed close ever since. And it just CD Lamb like genuinely wants to see Jalen Hurts have success. Now, obviously, it's not against the Cowboys, but to play them twice a year like these guys are like these guys are close. They're good friends. And so because of that, I, I agree. Like, I don't think that they're going to care about the Jimmy Johnson or, or Cliff Harris or, or Drew Pearson stuff. But they do care about primetime games, Monday night. And then the fact that – and this is an interesting thing CD brought up too is he just kept talking about, I just can't wait to go against the Eagles now that with Dak because when they played the Eagles last year, they didn't have Dak. And he's just excited for the possibilities of what they can be with him. But um, and, and then the, to your other point about the shirt, I mean, several guys were asked about it, but I, they just didn't really seem like they, they really mm -hmm. cared that much. I guess if it would have said like an expletive or something like F Dallas or something, maybe they would have had more. But the way they, the way yeah. they kind of took it was like, well, yeah, they want to beat us and we want to beat them. So I didn't think it was a big deal. Yeah. By the way, it's interesting, John, because we, we were talking to Jalen Hurts yesterday up here. He said similar things about CD Lamb. And it's interesting because you have all the Alabama guys as well. Right. Jalen's in both camps and they love each other. And they're Jalen Rager's from Texas and near Dallas. Uh, he, you know, his father, Monte Rager's down there. Uh, Jalen himself is from Texas, but South Texas. Yeah. You see the, the connection between everybody. And, you know, one thing I'm, I'm looking forward to is Devonte Smith. Hopefully I'll talk to him today. Trevon Diggs. Trevon Diggs is, to me, he's been one of the most improved playmakers in the NFL over the first couple of weeks. How how much of it? How much of an improvement have you seen from from Trayvon Diggs? Yeah, it's been significant. And you know, Mike McCarthy often talks about seeing this jump from guys from their first to their second year. And I don't think there's any better example on this Cowboys roster than Trayvon Diggs. And so we see it on the field. But it was another thing last week to actually hear Amari Cooper talk about it. When Trayvon Diggs wasn't even the topic of, of the conversation he just mentioned, he's like, Trayvon Diggs is two to three times better than he was uh, last year. Like, there's just no question about it. Obviously, Diggs and Cooper go against each other all the time in practice. And um, the interesting thing down here for Cowboys fans is that, you know, for a long time, they had Byron Jones as their top corner. And Byron Jones is a, is a good player. And obviously, he was paid like one by the Dolphins. But the difference is, is that, Byron Jones wouldn't get the big interceptions where Trayvon Diggs will get those interceptions. The other part of it though, is that you can, you could probably get a bust a big play from here or there on Trayvon Diggs because he's willing to take a gamble here or there where Byron Jones wouldn't. So it's kind of like, all right, Cowboys fans, you wanted a defensive back that made plays. Well, here you go, but you're going to have to take <laughs> some risks with it too, which to me, 
me personally, that's the type of defensive back I'd want anyway. And and that's the thing with Trayvon is that he will. I mean, there's there's a, a route that he ran uh, last week, and I say route because he was running the route on Keenan Allen. It looked like I mean, obviously he's defending Keenan Allen, but he ran a route to intercept this pass, and it just was on this on this underneath throw that you just don't see too many DBs pick him off, and so. He's certainly a guy that teams have to be aware of. Um, he was outstanding against Mike Evans in week one. Uh, Tom Brady was having success throwing up just about everybody other than Mike Evans. So, yeah, there's no question that he's he's significantly better than he was last year. All right, John Machuda, I need you to answer a question for me on last week's Cowboy game because I just didn't <laughs> understand this. Um, late in the game, the Chargers driving. They scored the go-ahead touchdown on a play that is called after the fact an illegal shift. I thought illegal shift was a pre-snap penalty, that the referee's job was to blow the whistle and stop the play. They didn't. They allowed the play to take place. Chargers get a touchdown, and then they go back and go, oh, no, wait a minute, illegal shift. How did that work? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I I heard after the game that the uh, uh, reporters that cover the Chargers uh, tried to get uh, someone to meet with one of the officials to try and get a quote from them about that particular uh, instance. And I don't know that they ever did. And, and, and you bring up good point because that was, that really left you scratching your head. And there was another play down there where Micah Parsons got a sack on Justin yeah. Herbert, but the ball was already out of Herbert's hand. They said he was in the grasp and it was just, there were some plays back down. The, I mean, it clearly was not a great day for the officials. And uh, if you live on social media, Unfortunately, like I do, uh, that was a big topic. <laughs> I saw that quite a bit after the game. The you know Chargers fans were were pretty annoyed by that. And so, no, I mean, there's no question that there were there were some head scratching calls in that in that game, uh, and and certainly more against the Chargers in in the final minutes. Uh, there were a couple early against the Cowboys, but I mean, that's to be whatever. But yeah, that final drive, yeah, there's no question that I thought what you were going to ask me about is why they settled for a 56 yard field goal and didn't, didn't try and get <laughs> that left that, on the Cowboys side. That left all of us scratching our head. But yeah, uh, I don't think it was a great game for the officials that day uh, in Los Angeles. Well, I'll go down that route. <laughs> John, why did Thank they? Thank you, John. Yes. Why did they settle for the 56 yard field goal? We hear things. Mike McCarthy had a ton of success in Green Bay, but obviously there's a lot of people say Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, and it didn't end well. Uh, things haven't been terrible, but they haven't been great in Dallas since he's been there. Uh, why are they settling? Where is Mike McCarthy in this space, in this new age of modern football? Is he a guy sort of left behind in the old school? How, do, how has he been framed in Dallas? Yeah, so it, it's interesting because – it's funny because on our podcast right after the game, we got criticized for being like too negative, even though it was a win because half the podcast we talked about like, how did you not run at least another play? How are you settling for 56 yards? Uh -huh. So there's been plenty of those issues, you know, for the last year and a half where you're just kind of like, you know, I don't know. It just seems like this game needs to be managed better in the final minutes because really that comes down to Mike because I don't think the game has, has necessarily passed him by. And, and even if it did, it kind of doesn't even matter with this with this current, the way the coaching staff set up, because he's not in charge of the offense. Like Kellen Moore is in charge of, of doing that. Kellen Moore is calling all the plays and on the defensive side, th that's Dan Quinn's baby. Dan Quinn is the one handling that. So Mike is the one that, you know, is doing kind of the CEO walk around type head coach stuff. And so when there are clock management issues, late in games and certain decisions like that, you know, obviously that falls on him. So I'd say right now, I mean, Cowboys fans as a whole were ready, obviously, to move on from Jason Garrett. So 
I would say that because Mike McCarthy won a Super Bowl, people will point back to that. But he's in a period right now where clearly that honeymoon stage is over. And it's kind of like, all right, fans aren't stupid. They see this roster the Cowboys have. And we mentioned earlier in the show the injuries they have. They still have a ton of good players, particularly on offense. Like, And to play in this division, that's not going to be great again. Like, The expectations are to not only win the NFC East, but it's to get in the playoffs and make a run. And if they don't do that, everyone's going to – the blame – I shouldn't say all of it, but a lot of that blame is going to go on Mike McCarthy, uh, especially from the fan base. All right. I want to follow up on McCarthy and Kellen Moore. Uh, we covered the last five minutes of the game quite well. Questionable penalties made. Long field goal worked out for the Cowboys. First 55 minutes of the game, best player on the field for the Dallas Cowboys was Pollard, not Ezekiel. He made the big uh, plays. <laughs> he made the uh, the chunk plays and the like. And this is not the first time we've seen this out of the Cowboy offense. Do the powers that be who are going to do the play calling on Monday night say, all right, let's do this again. Or do you say, you know, we could get even more chunk plays if we give it to Pollard more often than we give it to Zeke. How is the dispersity of the running game going to go Monday night for the Cowboys? So as negative as we were being in our post-game podcast, I will say the most positive thing that I continue to point out is that if you're a Cowboys fan, the thing you need to be the most excited about is just how much Kellen Moore is willing to change things up from week to week. There's just, it isn't the same game plan from week to week. And it's the same thing with Dan Quinn on defense. And that's, that's been a, you know, a breath of fresh air. And so because of that, I can't even tell you that necessarily Tony Pollard will get the same workload because these two first two games, the game plans have been completely different in both of them. I mean, it's not like Tony Pollard had some great practice last week and they were like, you know what? We need to get Tony more touches. They got Tony more touches because that worked with the way that, that the chargers were playing defense, mainly leaving their two high safeties uh, to really kind of, Hey, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to dink and dunk and run the ball underneath because we're not going to have Dak throw for four or 500 yards against us. And that, which was the opposite game plan. We, you know, when you're the Cowboys, you know, you're not going to be able to run against that Tampa front. And so they threw the ball a lot in that game and came up short, obviously, but for this game plan here against the Eagles, I, I just think that you're going to see another – it's not going to be a 50-50 split. I think Ezekiel will steal their lead back, but there's just too many things that Tony Pollard can do, and he's such a weapon for Kellen Moore that that he's got to be part of the game plan every single week. He's just too good of a player, uh, not not just as a runner, but as a pass catcher and what he can and do in the passing game. So I think both of them are going to be significantly involved again You know, down here – the bit one of the biggest storylines this week is just the fact of why is this Tony Pollard <laughs> look like the better running back and, and the Cowboys are paying Ezekiel Elliott all this money, you know? And so the, the fortunate thing for the Cowboys is that Zeke and, and Pollard do get along and, and they are very close and it does, I don't see them uh, there being a rift in the locker room or anything for me, looking at it from, you know, a reporter's perspective, I kind of feel like, well, Sean Payton made it work for a little bit with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. Could that potentially work with, with Kellen Moore? Because he is, he is a, a great play caller. I really do think he's an outstanding play caller. I think it's going to lead to him being a head coach in the near future. Uh, obviously the Eagles interviewed him in January for their, for their yeah. head coaching position. So uh, I think, I think that he's just got a lot of weapons and from week to week, we're just going to see different game plans. And that was not always the case with the Cowboys. By the way, John, on Kellen Moore, from the outside looking in, uh, he seems to be one of those hot candidates that is probably going to get a lot of 
uh, head coaching entrance interest sooner rather than later. Is Jerry aware of that? How was how that work? Because obviously when you have a young coach that everybody's looking at and everybody's saying all these wonderful things about, you don't necessarily want to lose them, but it's really hard to keep them unless you're going to fire your head coach and you don't want to go down that route. How is he handling that aspect of it? All right. So I'll tie it in with the Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram thing, because obviously Sean Payton was the one that is, it was running that show there and still is, you know, Jerry doesn't like that. He lost Sean Payton. You know, he would love for Sean Payton to have been kind of that next guy in line. So I find it interesting that Kellen gets in the situation. And if the offense continues to have the success, they've had these first two weeks and things continue to head in that right direction. It's going to be hard for Jerry to let him go. And so Kellen had interest from uh, Boise state for their head coaching job. And he ultimately didn't take it. Now there are differing stories down here. Why he didn't. Some people say that, well, he, there were certain things at Boise State that he didn't like, which makes, for me, is hard to believe because that's like his own mother and he is the man down there. Like he is the face of Boise State. Everybody down there knows who he is. Like he does car commercials there. Like, I mean, everybody knows who Kellen Moore is in, in that part of the country. So then there's others that said that Jerry came in and, and made sure that Kellen Moore wasn't leaving. So things could get real interesting down here if he has a type of success because I don't see Jerry – uh, being willing to let him go. And this isn't college football where you can have a, well, we'll make you the head coach and waiting, yeah. you know, that's just, they yeah. just don't do that at the pro level. Uh, so it's, it, it's interesting you bring that up because that could be one, a huge storyline as the season progresses, because, you know, when Jerry's got a guy like that, I, I don't, if he thinks he's the next Sean Payton, it's gonna be hard for Jerry to let him go out the door. Yeah. Jason Garrett got some really nice salaries as the offensive coordinator before they made him head coach. So Jerry has been down this road before and is willing to pay to keep his guy in place. All right. uh, I'm a hard knocks fan. Well on record. Love the show. We'll see how this whole in season thing with Carson Wentz and Indianapolis Colts works, but uh, I'm a, a hard knocks guy. I thought it'd be cool this year because the Cowboys, are smart. Jerry's the probably best promoter of his own franchise in the history of the National Football League. Yeah, I thought it was boring. I <laughs> the, the Cowboys don't have great personalities. They got players, but they don't have great personalities. So that's just my read on Hard Knocks. Did it have any effect on the Cowboys two games in? Because some people whine and moan after well, Hard Knocks took us out of week uh, showed too much. It was a big distraction. And others seem to pick it up and run with it and have success with it. What's the verdict on Hard Knocks' effect on the Cowboys so far this year? Yeah, I don't think it's much. And, and that, to your point, it's just because there weren't many distractions from it because it really wasn't as exciting as, as I think a lot of people were thinking it was going to be. I mean, just from my perspective, you know, my plan going in was to write every night uh, for those five episodes, what were the best things from that? And after like the third one, I was like, I mean, there's, it wasn't getting the, you know, the readership that we were getting on, on the first few, you could just, I mean, I mean, in the business we're in right now, it's very clear when people are interested in something, when they're not, we just have too many tools to measure that nowadays. And so, uh, you could tell as the episodes went on, there'd be bits and pieces in, in the episodes, but for an hour long show, there just wasn't as much stuff as you were expecting. The first episode I thought was really interesting with Dak getting injured and them having the behind the scenes and that. But as it went on and I haven't had this confirmed, but my belief is that they're, they just became, cause the Cowboys, you know, any team that does that they're in on the editing process. And I think there were right. a lot of things that, you know, were probably interesting and they just didn't make it in and they, and they edited it out. Um, 
you know, because you go from allowing John Fossil to talk about vasectomies in depth and that's on there. And then all of a sudden you just are, are not having these interesting storylines as the, as the show's progressing. And so uh, that's, you know, Mike McCarthy is a guy that he wasn't doing a lot of mic'd up behind the scenes stuff in Green Bay. So he comes down here and he's just kind of like, we're going to be doing hard knocks now on top of this. After we just had this, you know, highly disappointing season. So to your point, it, it because it wasn't as interesting as probably a lot of people thought with storylines, things like that. Um, I, I just, I don't sense many distractions. I mean, heck the last couple of episodes were about guys that really aren't even a factor on the team, uh, with Isaac Alarcon and, uh, Azur Kamara and, and a few other players that didn't make the roster. And so, uh, yeah, I haven't seen an impact at all on, on this team. All right, John, last one from me. I want to thank you for joining the show. Check out John's work at the athletic does the best job in my opinion of covering the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we haven't even gotten to Dak Prescott. All this talk, there's always, always so many storylines around the Cowboys. Obviously, Dak coming off the injury, that was probably the most compelling part of Hard Knocks is them just showing what he went through uh, and how difficult that injury was. Then he had a bit of a shoulder. It, you know, very short sample size, but it seems like from the outside looking in, same old Cowboys, fourth-ranked offense, 27th-ranked defense. They can score. They give up a lot of points. What What's the context of that? Is that changing, or is it the Cowboys are going to – if they're going to win, they're going to outscore you? Yeah, I think that's the way it is. I mean, the if you – to look at their roster broken down by their salary, they just – so much of this salary is in, invested in the offense. Jerry Jones is clearly a guy that wants to win with an offense, putting up points. And so what we were just talking about with Kellen Moore, like, and why Jerry will want to keep him around. One of the big things why Mike McCarthy wanted to keep Kellen on his staff and why Dak wanted Kellen Moore to stay around is because of, you know, looking at the history of what's been going on in the league and that keeping that continuity between franchise quarterback and play caller. And that's why it'll be hard for them to allow Kellen Moore to walk out the door either. Cause it's like, you've put in all this time, Dak's the highest paid player in franchise history. You know, him and Kellen see eye to eye on a lot of things going back to, I mean, heck, I mean, you go back to 2016, it was Kellen Moore that was supposed to be Tony Romo's backup. And then Kellen Moore gets hurt. And then that's the reason Dak went, I mean, how, how many offensive coordinators were like teammates with their, with the quarterback? I mean, they are on the same page. And I just, the way that this team's built and, and the direction I see them going, as long as Jerry Jones is owner, it's going to be very heavy offensive dominated. So yeah, it, that as, as the Cowboys offense goes, is how the Cowboys will go. And it, and I just, you know, you kind of look at it as the way that this is going to be, especially in a salary cap era is that they're going to win with offense and, and have a defense that can be opportunistic. They're going to give up points, but get some takeaways here and there. And as through these first two weeks, they got six takeaways, uh, that's how they're going to have to win. They just don't have enough of that talent on defense to think that they're going to be some dominant defense. So as opposed to being, uh, you know, like some of these previous Super Bowl winners that had a really good defense, I think you'd have to lean towards more of, you know, maybe they need their defense to be like the way the Chiefs defense was, uh, where, you know, they're going to score a lot of points, but, you know, be opportunistic. Uh, this isn't going to be it. They shut, I mean, Chargers 17 points. I think to your point, Jody, earlier, some roughing had some issues in, in, you know, things to do with that as well. I don't think this is a defense that's going to be just shutting teams down. So yeah, the Cowboys are going to win. They're going to win with their offense. All right. I've got an offensive question and I'm going to ask you to put your scouting hat on for me because the guy who's been surprisingly <laughs> unproductive or underproductive in the first couple of weeks is a guy I want to ask you about um, in watching hard knocks and following the Cowboys. I thought this could be a breakout year 
for Cedric Wilson, knowing full well he's your fourth wide receiver behind the big three. Oh, Michael Gallup gets hurt. Cedric Wilson gets a chance. He gets a step up. Boise State kid. The offensive coordinator's got to love him. This is going to be a perfect fit. Six-round pick breakout year. He didn't do anything last week. It hasn't in either of the first two weeks of the season. I thought he was a potential breakout candidate. They've got two guys at tight end who can both catch the ball. We talk all this time about 12 possessions here in Philadelphia because the Eagles have two good tight ends too. Uh, I think Cedric Wilson will decide how often that is the formation they use. Give me your scouting report on the kid. Is he what he is, a sixth-round pick who's good but not great or a potential breakout candidate? Yeah, it, it's tough because of all the weapons to say that he's going to be a breakout candidate. I think that he can flash. He had a, he had a nice play last week uh, where they threw to him kind of out in the flat, Dak did, and he may, ended up making like four guys miss. And so you see – glimpses and things like that i just if if they're healthy which they i mean even without Gallup, they relatively are healthy i mean because you're going to throw the ball to tony pollard you're going to throw it to dalton schultz and blake jarwin and amari cooper and cd lamb you can throw to ezekiel elliott like i just don't know there's there would be enough touches for cedric wilson to have a big enough impact uh and then especially i think the matchups matter too like if cedric wilson was the starter week one and there wasn't michael Gallup uh, against tampa when they were throwing the ball more i think he would have made a bigger impact so I think it's going to be more of a week-to-week thing, but uh, it's clearly one of those things that they're happy to have that issue because, you know, there just is so many playmakers for Dak to get the ball to that you don't have to just kind of key on uh, one guy. But uh, it, it's interesting you bring up Cedric because Dak is a huge Cedric Wilson fan. Cedric's got a, a quarterback background, and so they see eye-to-eye on, like, a lot of things. And even before Michael Gallup got hurt, Dak was talking about randomly one day in camp at practice. He was like, because, you know, I mean, Mari Cooper didn't do much in training camp. Michael Gallup missed some time and Cedric filled in and, and Dak just kept going on about how he's like, you know, there isn't a drop off. Like when we, when Cedric steps in there, like our offense keeps clicking and stuff. And we're kind of like, all right, well, we'll see it when it comes out on the field. So yeah, he hasn't had like a huge game yet, but uh, he is the type of guy. If you fall asleep on him though, he can make a big play uh, here or there. He did it last year early in the season uh, when he got some opportunity. So uh, it remains to be seen. We'll see if it is on Monday night against the Eagles. John, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on board. Thanks much. Enjoy the game on Monday. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. John Mishota, nice you can uh, read him. The beauty of the athletic is, yes, you can get it everywhere. Online, uh, read up on the Cowboys prior to Monday night. John will give you some good background and information on the Eagles' opposition on Monday. All right, Mac and Mac guys coming back. Oh, you know what we got to do. Put a bow on the show for our Football Friday here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Coming down the home stretch of a football Friday here on Birch 365. John McMullen and Jody McDonald hang with you. Do not forget, Monday, enjoy the rest of your National Football League action on Sunday. But the big game, of course, is Monday Eagles against the Cowboys. So we'll be back here to prepare you for it even more on Monday morning. Uh, getting a little ahead of ourselves, John, because the calendar says we have to. Um, I do want to look at the Eagles on defense for just a second. You're correctly pointing out since Monday where they rank in some very significant uh, statistical categories on the defensive side. Pretty damn good. Pretty damn impressive, as a matter of fact. There is one category where they haven't had much headway, though, and that's sacks. The Eagles' entire defense has the same amount of sacks as Mac and Mac. That would be a goose egg. Uh, Haven't gotten one yet but it hasn't kept them from keeping other teams off the scoreboard and not a lot of yardage racked up and the like, but sacks can be important. Talking we about got- sacks or turnovers, Jody? They had, Javon Hargrave has a couple. True. Uh, I should say sacks at important junctures of the game. Hargrave got them both in the second half of week number one, correct? When I, yeah. I, I'd pretty much say the game was over and done with at that point. Would you yeah, agree? yeah, yeah. Javon's played well. They haven't gotten a lot of sacks. You're right. I thought you were talking about turnovers because you said goose sacks. Right, they zero got, is, they got is a, a turnover. Sack. No, I would. Yeah. Thank you for the correction. Um, but they haven't last week zero sacks, uh, and they've gotten some pressure. I don't know that Jimmy G was quaking in his pants back there last week. They haven't generated this side of Jason Hargrave a lot of pressure on either the outside and or via Fletcher Cox. Um, I think they need to ratchet it up this week, but do you even want to do that? Do you want to do that against the Dallas Cowboys? With your front four, you surely want to, but I'm talking about potential blitzing. Um, Gannon has showed that's not his preference the first couple of games. The Cowboys do have a bunch of weapons, and they've got tight ends that, while they're not outsold names, have both made some plays down the field so far this year, and uh, stars on the outside as far as wide receivers go, and two backs capable of catching the ball out of the backfield. I guess in a long roundabout way, my question is, are we going to see more blitzing out of Jonathan Gannon this week? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the stylistic thing I've been talking about. I don't know if Philadelphia likes it. I don't know if you're going to see blitzing until he needs to blitz. You know, it's interesting. 
you know, I think Jimmy Garoppolo was very uncomfortable early in the game, and maybe some part of the the process was really in his mind, thinking, okay, here comes the pass rush. And he got more comfortable as it came along. So I think there's got to be an in-game adjustments. But we already know. Look, we already know. We should have known. We speculated. If you look at what um, Mike Zimmer does, what Matt Eberflus does, uh, what most defensive coordinators do, to be honest, if you can get home with four, that's what you want to do. And that's Jonathan Gannon's mindset. Now, where you got to change it up is if those four aren't getting home. That's that's the concern. The in-game, you know, when do you ramp it up? When do you not? At this point, I really can't complain because he's given up one explosive passing play. And he was complaining about that, by the way, the other day. He was unhappy. He thought he could have made a better call. And then I'm watching, again, Carolina yesterday. This is Carolina. This is not Tampa Bay. This is not Kansas City. They have six explosive passing plays in one game against a cover two defense. So they're they're playing well defensively. Um, and until they're not playing well, I think they're going to keep playing the way they're playing, and that's four-man rush predominantly, a lot of zone defense on the back end. Certainly this week, when you look at Dak Prescott's ability, when you look at C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, I don't think they're going to go to a lot of man-to-man unless the Cowboys start going up and down the field uh, with impunity. Here's where I wish I knew where to look up this stat. Maybe you can tell me, John, um, because I am a fan of the Blitz. It seems to me just my general uh, watching of games, and again, there might be stats that either point this out and or refute this, that when you blitz and you do get either home or close, and certainly home is what it is, a sack's a sack, but close, from time to time, you'll see big plays. You'll see interception. You'll see tipped balls because the quarterback is getting rid of the ball quicker because he knows where all the pass rush is coming from, from the down four. You, you do it every single down, it's just built in baked in to use the John McMullen phrase, which I like it's baked into the quarterback. But when you get the safety coming after you, we get the linebacker who you don't really see who's hiding behind the defensive end until the very last split second. Sometimes that can lend itself to big defensive plays, AKA turnovers. Well, here's I'll get it right this time. The Philadelphia Eagles have the same amount of turnovers this year as John McMullen and Jody McDonald. That'd be a zero. Yeah. Maybe if they blitzed a little bit more, it would lend itself to a turnover or two. Well, that's that's possible. There's no question about it. They did uh they blitzed 10%, three of 30 against Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, it was less than 10% in Atlanta. Now, because they were playing from ahead, they didn't have to. That, yeah, that that uh, certainly makes sense that they were under ten percent week one. Last week they were losing. Yeah, second half, and I they're mean, still Gar- only ten percent. If you if if you go to next gen stats, Garoppolo was over three with the blitz. So you could argue, okay, well let's ramp it up a little bit. But I think as a whole, the defense played well. So I'm kind of I. 
My answer to that, unfortunately, is I don't know. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo was very uncomfortable. And even I, I don't know if that's the reason because I, I, you know, by now, I don't have, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he's a, 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 I think he's an average quarterback, but I think, I don't know if it was because of the Eagles defense or because he's just not very good is what I'm trying to say. To date, I don't think it's been a problem. At some point, it's going to be a problem. And what do they do? So I guess we're at we're kind of at a blind spot. Dak, it starts this week. That's Dak Prescott is going to get some gash plays. I don't know how many. It's going to be more than one. I can guarantee you that. And it's coming with Patrick Mahomes. It's coming with Tom Brady. At what point does you know Jonathan Gannon ramp things up from there? And then the second part, the bigger part to me though, Jody, on the back end, who the hell's going to blitz? You don't have a great blitzing player on this defense, so part of it is personnel-driven. Your really good players are up front on the defensive line, and you're there. Your good pass. Who do you want blitzing? Gerard Avery, Eric Wilson, Anthony Harris. These are not blitzing players. Hopefully, the return of Rodney McLeod. He's my blitz guy. When we get Rodney back. Rodney would be ready to come off the edge and make a play or two. Rodney typically, remember, when Rodney was here with Malcolm Jenkins, Malcolm was the blitz guy yeah. when they did blitz. Rodney's the center fielder. And that's probably Anthony Harris is the center fielder when he was with Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith was the blitz guy. There's not there's not a lot of avenues other than Jannard Avery. Maybe could be a good blitz player. I I I, I I think Jonathan Gannon is playing to his strengths. I'll say that. Well, we try and play to our strengths every day here on Bird 365. Unfortunately, we won't have them in play Monday or Tuesday because Johnny Mac's going to be out. Uh, down in Dallas, you'll be joining us early, top of the show, in your usual guest yeah, I gotta, slot. I got I to gotta figure out Central Time, too. I might John Machado. I might John Machado. Don't you thing. dare. That's a, it's a 7 a.m., buddy. Set that alarm <laughs> clock. Have that wake up call. Put in with the front desk so you don't miss the start of the show on Monday and Tuesday, brother. <laughs> I'll be there. You know me, Chuck. We will be back on uh, Monday here on Birds 365, then the big Monday night game. Tuesday as well. We'll have John as a guest both days, but Jeff Kerr will be sitting alongside. Looking forward to it. Enjoy your football Sunday, everybody, but we got a Monday night game. Be back here Monday on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.